Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Meet in the middle. President Trump and Kim Jong-un agree to restart nuclear talks after Trump becomes the first sitting president to enter North Korea. Stepping across that line was a great honor. Is North Korea willing to negotiate on its nukes? We'll have the latest from the region. And getting along, President Trump oversees, defies critics at home. I get along with President Putin. I get along with Mohammed and restarts trade talks with China. How is the Trump doctrine working on the world stage? 2020 presidential candidate Senator Amy Klobuchar is here to respond. Plus, taking the torch, Democrats jockey for position after the first debates as one debate standout fights off despicable attacks. We have a fight before us. And another breakout star seizes the conversation on immigration. I did my homework and that clearly paid off. 2020 presidential candidate and former housing secretary Julian Castro joins in moments. Hello, I'm Brianna Keeler in for Jake Tapper in Washington, where the State of Our Union is reconsidering the use of Twitter as a diplomatic tool. We begin with breaking news out of North Korea, where President Trump and Kim Jong-un have agreed to restart stalled talks over North Korea's nuclear program after President Trump became the first sitting U.S. president to set foot on North Korean soil. President Trump then met with Chairman Kim for roughly 50 minutes and emerged to say that negotiations between the two nations would begin again in two to three weeks. This unprecedented meeting came after President Trump sent a tweet offering to meet with Kim just a day before he was set to visit the heavily fortified demilitarized zone separating North and South Korea. And it quickly became more than the quick handshake that President Trump had proposed. President Trump did not detail any commitments or concessions from North Korea ahead of the upcoming talks, which last stalled in February. But the president appeared to be betting his personal relationship with Kim could achieve what former presidents had failed to accomplish. For more, I want to bring in CNN international correspondent Will Ripley. He is in Seoul. So, Will, this meeting and the way this came about is totally unprecedented. It sure is. You know, we've been whispering about the possibility of Trump and Kim meeting at the DMZ for a number of days, ever since we learned that he was going there. But if you believe the president's and Kim Jong-un's version of events, this all began just over 24 hours ago with a tweet from the president inviting Chairman Kim to meet him for a handshake at the DMZ. Kim says that tweet took him by surprise. His people called Trump's people. They got the wheels in motion. We noticed that the special representative for North Korea, Stephen Began, was missing from last night's dinner at the Blue House here in Seoul. 
stole. We have now just learned, sources telling Barbara Starr, that in fact he was involved in secret talks at that very moment with North Korean officials. And when it seemed as if the North Koreans were really serious about making this happen, then they brought in more people. And then we somehow, miraculously, during the overnight hours, the ingredients came together for the chaotic at times event that we saw unfold today with the Secret Service and the North Korean bodyguards standing next to each other. At one point, the press secretary got into a brawl with North Korean officials. But at the end of the day, Trump and Kim made history. Trump walked over the military demarcation line, the first sitting U.S. president to do so. Then he had almost an hour of private talks with Kim Jong-un. They say they're going to restart stalled diplomacy. Will it actually lead to anything this time around? We certainly don't know. But what we do know, this played on the strengths of both Trump and Kim, who both love photo ops. They love moments. They love symbolism. And we got that in spades today, Brianna. Sure did. Will Ripley, thank you so much. And for more on this breaking news, I want to bring in former director of national intelligence, General James Clapper. Uh, Do you think that this is a breakthrough? Uh, No, not really. I think uh, it's a great historic moment. uh, Almost to the day, the 27th of July marks the 66th anniversary, the beginning of the the armistice. And as Will indicated, first time, and you, first time a sitting president ever set foot in North Korea. But I think uh, when it comes to the hard business of uh, negotiating here, uh, I think that's another story. I I personally don't believe the North Koreans have long-term any intent to denuclearize. Why should they? It's their ticket to survival. And uh, they're just not going to do that. And moreover, why should they do that when they've watched our performance where a future would suggest to them a future administration could abrogate uh, an agreement just as this administration has done with Iran? And Fareed Zakaria is also with us. This Fareed was off the cuff, to quote the, uh, to quote the president, and it sure seemed that way because you had senior officials who were scrambling. Does this kind of method... While unprecedented, unusual, does it work? Well, I don't think one should uh, instinctively be opposed to everything Donald Trump does. And so, no, I think it's, you know, it could work. Presidents have been impulsive and instinctive, and sometimes those, those, uh, those traits are useful. The part that I worry about, uh, other than the fact that there is a kind of high-wire act to this, because it's somewhat unscripted, uh, is that President Trump has been consistently more eager to do this deal than the other side. So he has given away what were often regarded as rewards uh, in return for pretty much nothing. So the United States president meeting with the leader of North Korea was regarded as a plum prize that no administration had granted. Uh, The president gave that away. The United States president visiting North Korea was regarded as a great prize. That was given away for pretty much nothing. The reason that this is important is, of course, North Korea is a rogue regime. It's a regime that has always searched for survival, respectability, legitimacy. And these are traits that the U.S. president can confer on North Korea. And we had always taken the position that in return, we wanted some steps toward denuclearization, towards a less aggressive policy. And remember, this is the world's most repressive regime. It is still building and stockpiling nuclear weapons. It's temporarily stop testing them. It is still firing ballistic missiles. So the concessions that have been made so far have not really been reciprocated by North Korea. So just from a fundamental point of, uh, of bargaining, it doesn't seem like so far we've gotten a good deal other than some great photo ops. Um, and that's, that's my real concern. I want you to listen, uh, Director Clapper, to something that President Trump said after this meeting. President Obama wanted to meet and Chairman Kim would not meet him. 
The Obama administration was begging for a meeting. They were begging for meetings constantly. And Chairman Kim would not meet with him. And for some reason, we have a certain chemistry or whatever. I wish we'd had a split screen with your face because you had a very puzzled look as you listened to that. What's your reaction? Well, uh, I don't know where he's getting that. Uh, And all the deliberations that I participated in on on North Korea during the Obama administration, I can recall no instance whatever where President Obama ever indicated any interest whatsoever uh, in meeting with uh, uh, Chairman Kim. I just, uh, you know, that's... That's news to me. News to you. All right. So you know better, as well as anyone who's been involved in this space, the difficulties uh, that talks with North Korea can lead to. The last summit failed. Do you think, I mean, to, to Fareed's point, you, it, not shutting down the idea that this, we don't know at this point, but do you think that things are at least headed in a better direction? Than well, sure. For, uh, and to, to Fareed's point, uh, photo ops at the DMZ are always better than a long-range mi- missile tests or underground nuclear tests. That's, that's, that's a given. I, I do think it would be useful, though, if, if we got down to some hard uh, uh, negotiation, like agreeing on what denuclearization actually means and asking the North Koreans the question, what is it it would take for you to feel sufficiently secure so that you don't need nuclear weapons. And in the absence of knowing the answer to that question, I think it's very hard to, to set out a negotiating strategy. One of the things that came out of this, Fareed, is the president actually invited Kim Jong-un to Washington. Do you see this happening? Well, with Donald Trump, anything is possible. <laughs> but uh, it, again, one would hope that the pattern this would take would be you carefully try to work out some of the issues Jim Clapper was talking about uh, at, a, at the level of deputies and uh, undersecretaries of state and negotiators, and that the summit becomes the reward, becomes the capstone, not the stepping stone for a process. Remember, Panmunjom, the place that they met, is the place where the armistice for the Korean War was negotiated. That armistice took almost three years. It took almost as long as the war itself. It took one year or more than one year to negotiate just the prisoners of war exchange. So the and and during that entire process, the North Koreans then as they are now, very tough, very shrewd negotiators. So I think that, you know, there's a danger here that the that the photo op and the feel good uh, atmospherics or kind of overshadow the fact these are very tough negotiators. They have a very different view of the world and view of their security than uh, than the United States does. I would suspect a better strategy would be to get China involved, to get Russia involved, to, you know, to put collective pressure, but also collective security guarantees to the, to the North Koreans. But Donald Trump really wants to wing this alone. He wants to come across as the guy who single-handedly swooped down uh, and managed to save the world from a crisis that he largely pumped up uh, earlier, earlier in, his, uh, in his administration. So we're not going to get that. We're going to get this kind of very... Um, There will be a circus-like atmosphere here. I think Jim Clapper is right. It is better this than missile tests and uh, and build-ups. But there is going to have to be hard work. There's going to have to be long, hard negotiations if this actually results in the denuclearization of North Korea. The great danger, Brianna, that I think everyone is worried about is that Donald Trump is so eager for a deal that he will settle for half a loaf or even a quarter of a loaf, which will leave North Korea with nuclear weapons. Fareed, thank you so much. General Clapper, thank you for being with us on this Sunday. And Fareed, you're going to have more on these developments coming up next hour on GPS. We'll be watching. 
My next guest has said that as president, she'd be willing to meet with Kim Jong-un. I'll be asking 2020 presidential candidate and Senator Amy Klobuchar for her response to President Trump's meeting with Chairman Kim. We'll have that next. President making history this morning, setting foot on North Korean soil and announcing that he and Kim Jong-un have agreed to restart nuclear talks. Joining me now is 2020 presidential candidate, Senator Amy Klobuchar. Thank you for coming on State of the Union. Thanks, Brianna. So after tweeting an invitation, the president had this meeting with Kim Jong-un just hours ago. They announced, he announced that both sides have agreed to restart talks. You have frequently criticized the president for diplomacy by tweet But did it work in this case? I don't think we know if it works until there's results. And we've seen a history here, uh, especially in this case, where Donald Trump announces these summits and nothing really comes out of it. Of course, as a country, uh, we want this to work. Uh, We want to see a denuclearization of the Korean Peninsula, a reduction in these missiles. But it's not as easy as just going and, you know, Uh, bringing a hot dish over the fence to the dictator next door. Uh, This is a ruthless dictator. And uh, when you go forward, you have to have clear focus and a clear mission and clear goals. And that has been our problem so far. Uh, The president will meet with him. That's fine. It's always good to talk to people uh, when you're dealing with something so important as nuclear weapons. But then we have no clear path and nothing comes out of it. Um, And so I hope that will change. I would think working with our allies would make it better. But let's be honest here. In May, uh, they were launching um, uh, missiles into the sea in violation of a U.N. resolution. I mean, that just happened. Uh, Kim Jong-un said that after this meeting, it it was a signal that these two leaders could meet, quote, any time. This perception that he has of an open channel, do you think that's a positive development? Does that serve what you were just discussing, the progress you're hoping for? I think any discussions are helpful. I don't think that's bad on its own. My problem is that this fits a pattern that we're seeing with this administration across the world. Uh, Toughness is just not saying things by tweet. Uh, Toughness is results and standing true to our country. At this same G20 summit, uh, the president was coddling again uh, Vladimir Putin, making jokes uh, about getting rid of journalists to a man who actually uh, has been involved in—with thugs who have killed and poisoned uh, journalists and human rights activists. Uh, He was again um, uh, talking about making jokes about meddling in our elections, (laughs) when, in fact, they used a cyber attack. Maybe not tanks or missiles, but Russia did that. You have hundreds of thousands of Americans have lost their lives fighting for our freedom to vote and our democracy. Four little girls in a church in Birmingham killed at the height of civil rights movement, uh, when, in fact, people were trying to stand up for our right to vote and other economic and racial justice concerns. That's what this country has been about. We stand up for our rights. And so I think making jokes about it, it wasn't a joke, it's an attack. And that's what you saw throughout the G20, culminating in the U.S. being the only country of the 20 not to sign on to the International Climate Change Agreement. Nineteen of them have. So what I see is more and more erosion of our work 
with the rest of the world. It is fine that he wants to talk to Kim Jong-un on the phone. Okay, fine. He wants to go meet with them. But you look at it overall, the withdrawal from the Iranian agreement, the havoc that that has wrought, where we were 10 minutes away uh, from potentially getting into a war. Uh, those are my concerns about the way he conducts foreign policy around the world. You mentioned Russia. You also mentioned Russia when you tweeted your condemnation of the racist attacks against your colleague and fellow candidate, Senator Kamala Harris. You said, we are better than this. Russia is not. And stand united against this type of vile behavior. Are you, are you saying that you believe Russia is responsible for this? Uh, you know what? I have no idea who's responsible for it. I just know that they have messed around on the Internet. Uh, many times with bots and other things, and there's been some connection to them way past the uh, 2016 presidential election. But I think the bigger point I was making in light of President Trump's hanging out with Vladimir Putin again um, is that we are a country uh, that is supposed to be about the truth. Uh, we are a country that is supposed to be um, about a free democracy. Russia is not that. Uh, they do not have free elections. They conduct propaganda campaigns in the United States and all over the world. We don't want to be part of that, and we certainly don't want to have relatives of the president of the United States um, furthering uh, this kind of stuff. And the president himself, when he sent out the doctored video of Nancy Pelosi, just another example of messing around with our democracy. And it certainly explains to me, Brianna, why just this last year, uh, when we were trying to move our bipartisan bill for backup paper ballots across this country to protect our democracy, that I got gut punched from the White House. They made calls and they stopped it in its tracks, even though it would pass the Senate with overwhelming votes. They don't want this free election. You can tell by every move they make and everything the president says. Let's turn to immigration now. This week, Congress passed a $4.6 billion package in humanitarian aid for the southern border. Uh, you, as many 2020 candidates, were not able to vote on that bill. You were at the debate. Do you support it? Well, I would have much preferred the House version and continuing to negotiate. I think it's unfortunate it happened at the end. There were some really important requirements in that House version. But it is important to get the aid right now uh, to the border and to these kids. I was just at the Homestead Detention Facility last week in outside of Miami, stood on that ladder, looked down at that hot, baking, concrete yard. Um, was able to see the fact that you've got tense, expanding facilities, thousands of kids that are housed, and this administration just continues the rhetoric. I believe, Brianna, for the good of our country, for the good of our economy, that we need to move on comprehensive immigration reform. And while that debate was understandably focused on the horrific policies of the Trump administration at the border, one thing that wasn't discussed at all, that I hope can be discussed at the CNN debate in July, is some of the other immigration issues we're having. We have um, hundreds of thousands of people that are here on temporary status, uh, that they are trying to deport, including people from Venezuela, the very country uh, that the president claims that he wants to see regime change in. Uh, you have got millions of dreamers, uh, two million dreamers that are here, uh, that want to stay in this country that came through no fault of their own. And yet, this administration once again stopped in its tracks a bipartisan policy uh, to make sure that that would happen. Fair, is that uh, you fair don't to have workers in our nursing homes. Senator, mm -hmm. is, it, is it fair to say you, that you would have supported it then? 
even though you would prefer the House bill, you would have supported this this bill that doesn't have the additional protections for migrants. I would have preferred to keep negotiating to see if we could get some of those provisions in. But if it were but binary, if, if that was your choice. Was, if anyone was the deciding vote, if you're the deciding vote on that, yeah, I don't think you're going to deny that money for the border. Uh, but a protest vote is a different thing. I don't think you can go in there and deny that money for the border when you've seen what I have seen. I want to ask you, because this was a big uh, defeat for Speaker Pelosi, who is known for her ability to wrangle her caucus. She was not in this case. You talk a lot about bridging Democrats and Republicans. As president, how would you do better here and bridge Democrats and Democrats? Well, first of all, Speaker Pelosi has shown tremendous leadership. Um, and you think of someone who has uh, stood up uh, to Donald Trump with one flipper for her sunglasses when she walked out of that White House in many, many ways, and keeping our government funded, keeping um, some kind of uh, stability. Uh, when the White House just keeps going from one chaotic mess to another, the best example is when they shut down the government and she ended up along with Senator Schumer and the rest of us, getting the deal, basically, that we should have gotten before he shut the government down. Um, but I think one of the things that would have been helpful here, again, is just doing this earlier. Uh, there was another bill that maybe we would have had leverage on, that we could have attached it to. But I am not criticizing her in any way, uh, because I think she was simply uh, standing up for trying to get a compromise, which is very, very difficult to do. Uh, right now, in this era of Donald Trump, who is not interested in reaching a compromise. And that's one of the things that I wanted to point out in the debate, is that we are living at this moment of chaos when we should be living with opportunity. And he made a bunch of promises back in 2016. He made promises about bringing down pharmaceutical prices, um, no negotiation under Medicare. I lead that bill. Uh, he has not pushed for that, despite saying he was for it. And we've seen prices escalate for thousands of drugs up double digits since he came in office. Election night, he promised infrastructure. No movement on that. I have a plan to do that. It's right there on my website at amyklobuchar.com. Um, and he has moved us backwards, promised to make us safer by getting out of the Iranian deal. We are mon one month away from Iran um, upping and busting the caps for enriching uranium. Time after time after time, he makes these promises to the American people. And as I said in the debate, it is basically all foam and no beer. Senator Amy Klobuchar, thank you so much for coming on State of the Union. Thanks, Brianna. And my next was guest was one, of the, was one of the breakout stars of the Democratic debates. How did two nights of combative exchanges and attacks on the president shake up the Democratic field? We have that next. State of the Union. I'm Brianna Keeler in for Jake Tapper. 2020 Democrats are back on the campaign trail this weekend after the first round of highly anticipated and sometimes fiery presidential debates. And for 2020 hopeful Julian Castro, that means drawing attention to the crisis at the border after his breakout moment at the debate when he sparred with Beto O'Rourke on immigration. Joining me now from San Antonio is Democratic presidential candidate and former housing secretary Julian Castro. Sir, thanks for being with us. Great to be with you. So before we do get to immigration, I want to ask you about this historic meeting between President Trump and Kim Jong-un at the DMZ. Is this, in your view, a positive step? 
Well, look, I'm always for uh, speaking to our adversaries, opening up uh, diplomatic conversations. Uh, the problem is that this president seems bent on approaching this very erratically, very haphazardly. As you know, Brianna, he did this at the last minute. And the problem with that is that to be effective, um, this usually goes the other way around. There's a lot of staff work that goes into preparing a meeting like this so that concrete uh, terms are on the table and you can get something out of the meeting. They had the first summit, the Singapore summit, I guess just over a year ago. And North Korea has not abided by what it promised at that summit, which was to produce an inventory of their weapons stockpile so that there could be a baseline for further talks. Uh, so I'm not quite sure why this president is so bent on elevating the profile of a dictator like Kim Jong-un when Kim Jong-un has not lived up to his promise from the first summit. Uh, it's been a failure so far. We can always, and I will be hopeful, that there's some progress that comes out of this. Um, is restarting but, uh, talks, again, the president said that this is reopening discussion. Is, is that not progress, in your view? Well, usually that reopening of discussion is done by lower-level staff. And the reason for that is that you want to work up toward uh, an agreement that the president can get, something that's concretely on the table. What it seems like is that for the president, this is what he's about. It's all show. It's all symbolism. It's not substance. And uh, right after the Singapore summit a year ago, he told the American people, and folks will remember this, that North Korea was no longer a threat. But it turns out that then they did uh, weapons testing after that. So there is a problem here. He keeps telling us one thing, but the reality is another. And haphazardly meeting with Kim Jong-un, raising his profile, strengthening him across the world with nothing for the United States. That is a problem. Now, the president says, I want to talk to you about immigration right now. The president is saying that he plans to start some raids next week on some migrant families who have been court ordered to leave the country. There's Los Angeles and Chicago who have said that they're going to direct their police departments to not assist ICE in rounding up immigrants. Would you encourage police departments to follow suit in other cities? Uh, yes, I would, because I believe that local law enforcement should do its job and federal law enforcement has its own job to do. Uh, so I'm glad to see that uh, Los Angeles and Chicago are doing that. Uh, the other thing is, what's very clear is that this president likes to terrorize these immigrant families. Uh, he likes to scare them. He likes to use this issue as a uh, political weapon to draw up fear and paranoia in his base, and he thinks that this is going to help him get reelected with a narrow electoral college victory in 2020, the way he got in 2016. And I draw a very, very straight line between these types of actions by the president, or at least the talk, the threat, and the proposal to have a citizenship question on the U.S. Census. He wants to scare these immigrant families. He wants self-deportation. And he wants to chill the others from participating in American life. The fact is that uh, our immigrant community, whether documented or undocumented, add a lot to this country. They help us move forward. They don't deserve to be terrorized like this. And, um, you know, last time uh, he all of a sudden said that he's going to postpone these raids. 
he talks so much, you don't know what to believe. And uh, but I'm glad that Los Angeles and Chicago and other police departments are pushing back. There have been some just despicable online uh, racist attacks on your fellow candidate, uh, Senator Kamala Harris, including one that the president's son, Donald Trump Jr., retweeted. What is your reaction? Uh, that it's disgusting, that it has no place in our politics. Uh, and this is the game that these folks play. They put something out there. You notice what he did. He tweeted it out, and then he deleted it like a coward so he can say, oh, that was just a mistake. But he knows what he's doing. He's giving voice to these racist, um, uh, you know, utterances about Senator Harris. Uh, you know, we need to dispel them immediately and condemn them and then not give them any more life because they're disgusting. Um, I want to ask you about another one of your candidate, uh, fellow candidates, Beto O'Rourke. You criticized him for not supporting your push to decriminalize crossing the border. Afterward, according to the Texas Tribune, you, you said at a campaign event that while you were previously written off as the, quote, other Texan, you are now, quote, the Texan in this race. Are you saying that the former congressman's campaign is effectively over? No, of course. Uh, you know, I have a lot of respect for Congressman O'Rourke. I was glad to support him when he ran against Senator Cruz. Uh, you know, he and I get along well. The disagreement that we had the other night was about policy. It wasn't personality. And, um, you know, I'm glad that 13 other candidates now, you may have seen on the second night of the debate, they asked this question, who believes that we should repeal that law that I was talking about, Section 1325, the Immigration Nationality Act, and either eight or nine of the 10 people on that stage that night raised their hand. So 13 other candidates have said, if we want to end family separation, the way to do that is to repeal that section of the Immigration Nationality Act. And uh, I've proposed that we do that. Congressman O'Rourke has refused to agree to that. Uh, so many people, a lot of immigration lawyers have said we have to do that if we're going to be, if we're going to effectively end family separation. So this is about the people that are impacted by this. I was just at, at uh, the Clint detention facility yesterday where there have been reports of terrible living conditions, of children being mistreated, uh, of, uh, you know, all sorts of things that we cannot justify as Americans or human beings. So this is important to me. It's not about a personal difference. It's about the policy. All right, Secretary Castro, thank you so much for coming on. Thank you. President Trump just made history in North Korea this morning. We'll have more on that next. I actually stepped in with Chairman Kim. I stepped into North Korea. And they say... And they say that's a very historic moment, and I think it is a historic moment and uh, a very good moment. President Trump describing his historic meeting with Kim Jong-un. What should we make of this impromptu hour-long handshake summit? Let's discuss this with our experts here. Um, I want to ask you first, David Urban, and we have to disclose that you are a corporate <laughs> lobbyist who has clients in the defense and energy industries. Yep, important to put that we get in there. trouble. We always get in trouble. So I get in trouble somewhere. The last time that we saw President <clears throat> Trump and Kim claiming that both sides had overreached, so they were finger-pointing. Just because the talks are going to be reinstated, what makes you think that this is going to be anything different? Look, I, I mean, I think you saw uh, uh, Kim there saying, wow, I didn't expect this. I didn't expect you to come do this. 
there, there is something to be said for for that, uh, that that personal connection. And I think the people who who say, oh, you know, I've heard uh, some of the previous guests say, oh, there needs to be all this this run up. This work needs to be done. All these, you know, these these different meetings need to take place before these the, the principles take place. Uh, the meeting takes place. I, I think that's mistaken in this count. This, this fact there are two people are going to make a decision here about what gets done. Uh, and they both met today. I think that's that's very important. And, and I, so I think it is different because, um, you know, they both want something to happen pretty quickly. And I think they both are very sensitive about the time. I, look, again, no one can predict the future. I think it's a great thing that it took place. But um, I, I think you had the, the last that last summit that didn't go so well. And I think uh, the North Koreans know know what the, what they need to do to make this next summit go well in terms of denuclearization. Critics might say he was surprised because something was given to Kim without really him having to give anything back. I wonder, Bakari, in this historic moment, though, where this is the first time we've seen a sitting president go to North Korea and make this overture if the president doesn't get some credit. Well, it's an historic moment, but it's an historic moment of theater, pure political theater. It's nothing more, nothing less. This does not advance the international interest of the United States or any of the surrounding countries. I mean, the fact is this. Uh, what we did was we validated a nuclearized North Korea. That's what we have. Um, and the fact is, it, as, as David stated, the first uh, summit, I think the quote was, didn't go so well. Um, I don't know what we get out of doing this. And just to tie in the, the chunking of the Iranian nuclear agreement that we had, why would anyone agree to a long-term <clears throat> agreement with this president of the United States, knowing that we have no continuity amongst administrations? And so my, my last point is, is one, and... and this is more personalized, but I was thinking about this morning as we were preparing about Otto, Otto Warmbier's parents and how they have to feel about you going and actually legitimizing someone who is a terror. And uh, he's a dictator, and he's a dictator who kills his citizens. He's a dictator who kills his own family members who are members of his government, and here we are legitimizing him. I actually do agree with David on one small point, because I know we're moving, that sometimes you have to take a different tact in dealing with foreign adversaries, this simply was not the right time. I want to talk now about candidates who are going into this week in a stronger position than they went into <laughs> last week, specifically Kamala Harris, who, Bakari, you support. That's important to note. Uh, she's really taking a victory lap after this debate. She raked in more than $2 million in 24 hours. And, uh, of course, President Trump, he's not so impressed. Let's listen. I thought that uh, she was given too much credit. Uh, he didn't do well. Certainly. Uh, and maybe the facts weren't necessarily on his side. I think she was given too much credit for what she did. Wasn't that outstanding? Jess. <laughs> President Trump has a particularly <clears throat> difficult time with black women excelling. I think we saw Kamala Harris do that in the debate. It was kind of undeniable. That was why we saw the outpouring of support immediately after. And that has got to get under his skin, probably worse than any other candidate having a standout moment. It's just not something that he's capable of, of handling in a mature way. And I think, frankly, she probably scares him quite a bit. She's the one he doesn't have a nickname for. She's the one who, I mean, watching her on that stage, it was so terribly obvious that she could go toe-to-toe -to -toe with him in a debate. I think it might even have gotten through to him that she could be a threat to him. So I, I think we're going to see more of this attempting to undercut him as much as possible. <laughs> should, should Kamala Harris scare Donald Trump? Look, I... <clears throat> what I saw the other night is that she's very skilled at being aggressive and also being yeah. pretty likable, yeah. uh, which is a tough line to walk. Um, and she saw where she could take shots and she took them. So I think that's a skill that does work well against Trump. On the other hand, when it came to the actual policy, she got tripped up 
on this health care question again because oh she's God. sponsored something that eliminates basically all of private health insurance. She raised her That's, hand about it. Wait, hold on. Hang on. <clears throat> it's not accurate, but okay. She says supplemental, but they're like, they wouldn't actually add the supplemental. Well, she's actually, a, she's actually a co-sponsor of multiple bills, Wait, but, but go ahead. The point being, she raised her hand on it. Right. And then she had to backtrack and say, well, that's not actually what but I said. I misheard the question, And this basically. is the second time on this specific issue she's done it. So cleaning up that kind of mess is going to be important. So I, I would just say this. As long as we saw the same tone and tenor in those debates where everybody's trying to outleft each other, right, you heard you heard Mike Shields here on earlier today saying like the middle the most middle America they hear they listen to stuff and they're rolling their eyes going what are you people talking about like the, this this democratic field cannot get further to the left of one another and as long as that occurs there's nobody up there that's going to beat Donald Trump I promise you that I just think we have this I promise you idea. that I promise you. This erroneous idea that some of these policies that are being perceived or, or portrayed in the media as, as super lefty are actually enjoying really widespread. So 50 percent. Listen, of, you're talking about eliminating insurance. Are eliminating in favor insurance. Of Medicare. So, oh, wait, hold on, hold on. Let's just be. Let's be no, very 50 factual. Fifty percent of Republicans no, this is a network are in believe, favor of no, no, Medicare stop, for all. Stop. Stop. This is a network that believes in facts. Let's get rid of ICE. Let's have open borders. Let's have. Nobody said that. Hold on, no, no. But I mean, this if you're going to spew right-wing talking have, no, no, points, this then is I have right to correct you. Yeah. There, there's nobody. No, no, no. Sure. For Medicaid, David, Listen, there's nobody, there's nobody talking about. Uh, Crazy. First of all, when Crazy. we talk about Medicare for all, there's a role for supplemental insurance. And most not, people, not according to most of those candidates up there. Uh, there are only two people who true. raise their hands who actually believe that. And yes, you were talking about Senator Harris having yes. to go back and clean that up were Elizabeth Warren and Bernie Sanders. But the overwhelming majority of people want to have Medicare with some type of private insurance supplemental. Nobody's getting rid of that. Second, for open borders, that is a crazy right-wing talking it's point. It's not a crazy right-wing talking Castro, point. when Castro talks about that, all you're doing is those people still have to be adjudicated. You're just going through a civil process, and you still get to be adjudicated. And criminals, there are still crimes on the books to deal with those things. Open borders so, would look, mean dismantling the security it, apparatus we currently it, have. Let's go. There's a lot no of... There's one a half, is half, calling the for Democratic that. Can party I ask you, Bari, as our, as our resident Kamala Harris, Bakari, sorry. Uh, as our as our resident Kamala Harris surrogate here, um, is it a problem for her that she had to, even if her explanation this time made some more sense? I think that she misheard the question. The issue is that she's gone back and forth before. Listen, I, I don't I don't disagree with anything that you all say. I think that the campaign realizes that, and I, and Senator Harris is brilliant enough to realize that on her own. That as you move forward, this campaign is long. You have to tighten that up. You have to get better with your answers. But even if though people want to harp on the, the food fight moment that she had and the moment that she had with Joe Biden, I actually think the best moments that she had on stage were distinguishing her immigration policies with Joe Biden, were distinguishing her plan for middle class tax relief from Bernie Sanders, and lastly, distinguishing her plan for gun rights with Elizabeth Warren. So she was having these policy moments, although people will glorify the moment she had with Biden. She, she was clearly a big winner, in my, my opinion. Clearly a big winner. And it's clearly she... You guys are scared of her. Oh, look, I'm not, listen, again, I'm not afraid of anybody <laughs> as long as you guys continue to be crazy. It's not yeah, afraid. And let, me, let me add on the on, to the crazy point. I think, I think Democrats Final are word. in danger of thinking that because Trump doesn't, this is a technical term, hide his crazy, that they don't have to hide their crazy either. And if they do go too far left and in some cases admit, yes, the point of the public option is to glide people onto government health care overall, then yes, people are going to notice that. To quote, to quote, to quote a Democratic candidate, girlfriend, you are on. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you guys That's so one. much. The U.S. women's soccer team is celebrating a huge win. So why are some Trump supporters rooting against them?
U.S. women's national team is fighting to bring home another World Cup trophy. Just don't expect a victory lap to include a stop at the White House. For winning U.S. sports teams, a presidential congratulations is a time-honored tradition. But with President Trump in the White House, some teams are cutting their victory laps short and blaming the president's divisive rhetoric. I'm not going to the White House. No, I'm not going to the White House. If the American women's soccer team wins the World Cup, co-captain Megan Rapino says she'd skip a White House visit. I would encourage my teammates to think hard about lending that platform or having that co-opted um, by an administration that doesn't feel the same way and doesn't fight for the same things that, that we fight for. Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. I'm Dr. Sanjay Gupta, host of the Chasing Life podcast. In honor of our 10th season, we want to hear from you. Leave us a message at 470-396-0832 and tell us how you chase life. It could be used on an upcoming episode.